Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 60, an overview on domestic abuse and violence. It's September 7th, 2022. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and podcaster. I also happen to be a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. I help people be well-loved, happy, and healthy, even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way, and my music is by Howie Moscovich. An overview to domestic abuse and violence. Well, this is not a pretty topic, and yet it's one of the many, many topics that we don't really talk about, and in my humble opinion, we absolutely should be talking about this topic. Um, And I know a lot more about this topic than I'm able to be frank and share with you, because it is what it is. So I believe that one of the reasons that we're not talking about this topic more often than not is because it seems to me that it's frequently laden with uh, shame and embarrassment on the part of the person who's a victim of abuse. That's my opinion about that. Now, statistically speaking, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, every single minute about 20 people are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. So that equals about 10 million people. So that's 20 people in almost like in a minute. So this is, and that's, uh, that's physically abused. Then there's emotional abuse, which doesn't involve the physical aspect. So according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an an intimate partner. So that means it's very common, one out of three and one out of four. If we broaden the definition to include emotional abuse and other non-contact types of abuse, then, you know, Pandora's box is open and we're talking about just a gazillion people. So, Domestic abuse doesn't have to include violence, and it doesn't have to include physical things. So it's time to shed some light on this, and it's time to start talking about something, because talking about it will make a difference, and not talking about it will not make a difference. And I think you'll find it very interesting that there's some issues with attorneys abusing their clients, so I'll talk about that in a second. So what am I going to cover today? Well, what I'm going to cover in this podcast is an overview to some terminology and kind of the lay of the land on domestic abuse and domestic violence, give you some examples of different types of abuse, possible signs of abuse. I'm going to mention forced homeschooling, the art of the con, reasons why people don't leave abusive relationships or marriages, signs of economic abuse, stalking, law enforcement, protection from abuse orders or PFAs, uh, 
resources for people in a domestic abuse situation. I'm going to give a brief mention on the book called People of the Lie and give you some suggestions if you know someone or someone you care about is in an abusive relationship and a few suggestions if you happen to be in an abusive relationship. Some takeaways and a call to action. If you happen to be new to my podcast or my content, you can visit my website at www.lisaalundy.com and enter my current giveaway, which would make me very happy. My current giveaway is called Look, Look, I Want a Book. I know, it just makes me laugh. Giving away copies of my uh, self-help book, um, Love Life, a handbook for being well-loved, happy, and healthy, and I'm giving away two copies every month through the end of the year, and I'm going to be starting a great cookbook giveaway so I can pass on new aprons and uh, copies of my first cookbook that's no longer in print, some other goodies, so definitely get on my, my website so you can win some free stuff. Now, my next piece is uh, a little more serious serious and that is my disclaimer I am NOT a medical health professional or therapist in any capacity we don't pretend that I am and you as a person should get your medical advice or your therapy advice from a licensed health care provider of which I'm not if you happen to be suicidal or you're thinking of harming yourself or you feel really hopeless or despondent please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800 273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. I'm asking you to talk about it. I'm asking you to tell people. I don't care if you have to post it on social media. People will help you. I promise you that. It just might not be the people that you expect to help you or the people that you wanted to help you. So that's that. So now let's just kind of generally talk and give you some little information about domestic abuse and violence. So it seems to me that the, the distinction between domestic abuse and domestic violence are kind of blurred or overlap. So there are some sites that say domestic violence does not have to include any type of physical content, contact. So, and it, and it sounds like in the legal sense, looking at legal definitions and legal actions, that there's, there's a lot of overlap. So I'm just telling you like it is uh, what I found in terms of what's the like, legal definition, what's the real definition, and the, what's the real distinction between the two, and there's a big overlap. But domestic abuse, whether, so for the balance of the podcast, I'm probably just going to use the term domestic abuse because domestic abuse frequently or often can lead to violence. So, but domestic abuse is really like a pattern of, of, or a systematic pattern of power and control. And they have a power and control wheel on the internet where one person is exerting or exhibiting or taking uh, power and control over another. So it can include violence. It can include physical or sexual, psychological or emotional, but it doesn't have to include a physical contact in terms of the violence. So the frequency of abuse or the, the pattern of abuse can vary by, by the situation and by the person. So, but it's really usually coercive and controlling, and it's really about controlling someone else, controlling someone else's behavior, controlling someone else's life. 
And I'm asserting, based on the statistics, one out of three and one out of four, one out of three women and one out of four men have a physical, you know, violence, that the abuse without touching, the abuse without physical harm is ginormous. It's, it's huge, way more than you realize. And the thing about domestic abuse is it happens regardless of your education, regardless of your age. It happens to young people. It happens to old people. It happens to everyone in between. It doesn't matter if your sexual orientation, your gender, your religion, your ethnicity, your culture. It happens across the board. It's one of those things that, you know, we can't say, well, it's only men who abuse women because that's not true because there are men who are emotionally abused and there are men who have domestic abuse and domestic violence. So it's not something that we can say, here's the profile, <coughs> here's the profile for someone who's going to be abused. Um, now, there's an analogy often used in the domestic abuse websites, which I think is extremely powerful and valuable. So I'm going to share that analogy because I think it's really helpful to understand this in a different, you know, in a different way. So the analogy that's often used on domestic abuse or domestic violence websites is that analogy of boiling a frog. When you go to boil frogs, apparently you put them in a pot of tepid water where they're swimming around and they're all happy because they're in water and it's tepid so they're not, you know, uncomfortable. And then gradually you gradually turn up the heat and turn up a little more and turn up a little more. And it's so gradual that the frogs don't notice the temperature change until it's too late, and in which case they're too incapacitated to jump out of the pot. So I think the analogy of boiling frogs is so appropriate because most people don't willingly get into an abusive relationship. There's a honeymoon phase and they're dating, or they get married and it's been a great engagement and the day after you get married, your new spouse changes overnight. You know, so people typically don't say, oh yeah, sign me up for an abusive relationship. Typically, it starts out with someone that you trust. And, you know, when you have trust, then you're not expecting, you know, bad behavior. And, you know, so I think the boiling frog analogy is extremely valuable and very applicable as to, you know, how people get into abusive relationships. So if you haven't seen the power and control wheel, you can find that all over the web. It's, it's really very powerful. And I mentioned it because there's one in particular, a power and control wheel or diagram for attorney client abuse, which I'm going to assert happens way more than we talk about. So if you wanted to find the, the power and control wheel for attorney-client relationships, you can find that on the National Center for Domestic and Sexual Abuse, which is NCDSV. So that's the National Center for Domestic and Sexual Abuse. And quite frankly, you know, if you have an, an attorney who's abusive, good luck with that because there's very little that you can you can do about that. I mean, that would be a whole that would be a whole other podcast, which could be dangerous to make. So. There's lots of abuse going on 
in relationships, in interpersonal relationships, there's even abusive situations going on at work and careers and employment. So what kinds of people, so it can happen to anyone regardless of how much money you have or how much money you don't have, gender, sex, sexual orientation, any, anything. It's just one of those things that doesn't really care what your circumstances are. So what kinds of people then, you know, end up in abusive relationships? Well, all kinds of people, all kinds of people, highly, highly educated and people who are, you know, have a high school, like it's just one of those things that doesn't care about what kind of person you are. So the, when we talk about abuse, we there's like five kind of categories of abuse. One of them is emotional abuse. One of them is psychological, which can also be emotional, but psychological abuse, economic abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse. Those are kind of the broad categories. And if we wanted to say, well, what are the signs of abuse or what are the symptoms of abuse? I'm going to read off a list and any one of them could be a signal, could be a sign of potential abuse or of actual abuse. Uh, the first one is lying, stealing, cheating, gaslighting, name calling, monsterizing, put downs, being demeaning, being belittling, irrational thinking, justification, projecting, stalking, isolating you from friends or family, intimidation, threats, including threats that they will kill themselves, minimizing, humiliation, blaming, using children as weapons or pawns, bullying, battering. And I think you know, most people have heard of the battered wife or battered woman syndrome, you know, and so much of abuse is, is a battering. It's an ongoing onslaught of, of a particular pattern to, you know, control. So those are some examples of behaviors that could be a sign that's, that you're in an abusive relationship or that uh, someone else is. And probably what you might not know, because many people are surprised about this, but did you know that any parent, almost any parent, can literally force the other parent to stay home and force them to homeschool their children? I bet you didn't know that. Well, how they do that is by refusing to sign the registration paperwork to enter a child into the public school system. So unless you have, in most states, this might not be every state. I was told it's every state, but I'm, I'm not sure I believe that. But most states require both parents to sign the registration paperwork to put a, a child into a public school. Um, probably also true for public, private schools, but we're talking about the public schools. And so unless you have a custody agreement ordered by a court that gives you the authority to put the kids in school only under your signature, if you don't have your partner or your spouse's signature and they refuse to sign, you could be left forced to homeschool. How about that? A little interesting tidbit. Now you know. The next piece I want to talk is about is very important in the area of domestic abuse and domestic violence, and which is called, I'm calling it the art of the con. 
So this needs to be mentioned because it's kind of an insidious or stealth part of the whole uh, domestic abuse scenario. And I think it's extremely common. So some abusers, some people who are abusing their spouse or their partner are great at the art of the con. So what do I mean by that? Well, think of Bernie Madoff. How did how did Bernie Madoff con so many well-educated and wealthy people? Like, how did he do that? Well, if you look him up, he apparently conned 37,000 people in 136 countries out of approximately $65 billion over 40 years. That's what we call the long con. So he did that. Bernie Madoff did that because he was a master at the art of the con. You know, which is like when some one of his customers or one of his clients would start to get a little edgy or nervous or question him, he knew exactly what actions to take to put them at ease and put them, you know, put their fears at bay. And he just would do that over and over and over again. And as I believe a significant number of abusers are engaging in that art of the con from the beginning or, or very early on where they're lying about their partner or their spouse so that in the end, in the end, if there's a, if there's a divorce or a breakup or what have you, then they're going to look good because they've already lied about you. They're making you look bad. And this is something that in my opinion, based on my experience and knowledge, is a very important dynamic in people's ability to leave and in, in the whole the whole scheme of things. But we're we're not generally speaking about domestic abuse. Of course we're not talking about, you know, the con artist type of abuser who is meticulously lying about you, or if it's not you, lying about your sister or your brother or your neighbor or, you know, your co whatever, you know, in order to, it's like the perfect setup. It's like, if, just think of Bernie Madoff. Some of the abusers are like mini Bernie Madoffs, only not, not necessarily abusing you for money, although money is a big part of it, which I'll talk about in, in a couple minutes, a couple seconds, whatever. So, Oftentimes, abusers lie, lie like crazy, and they're lying about you to make you look bad so that eventually there's like, well, who do you believe? Like, people have to kind of figure out who's telling the truth. So that's the art of the con, and I think that's very important for people to understand because sometimes these, you know, like, I mean, obviously, Bernie Madoff did it for four decades, 40 years. 37,000 people. He was the master of the con. And some abusers are like mini Bernie Madoffs. All right, so next I want to talk about one of the big questions that people have if they find out uh, someone's in an abusive marriage or relationship. And that is, why don't you just leave? Why didn't they just leave? Why did they stay? So here is a list of reasons why people stay in abusive marriages and relationships. Number one, fear of being killed or having your children or significant people in your life being killed by the abusive partner. Fear of retaliation separate from the fear of death. So there's the fear of you, your children, or someone you love getting killed. And then there's a fear of retaliation distinctly separate from death. 
high-level stalking, including electronic stalking, feeling trapped or stuck. And sometimes people are literally trapped and stuck. Uh, people often lack the emotional bandwidth or strength or courage after being so badly abused. They may be too depressed and too anxious or too devastated to muster and rally to be able to leave. And oftentimes, people don't have the financial resources to leave. This is a very, very often true, and I'll talk about that, the financial part in a moment. Um, and sometimes people don't have enough support. Like, it takes support to leave. Shame and embarrassment are also at play, and many times people blame themselves, and particularly if they have low self-esteem. Um, they may be codependent or meshed, and, and so for some people, it's abuse is all they've ever known. That's all they've ever known, so it's just what they expect and what they're used to. Um, I already mentioned, you know, abusers lying, and some people are fearful of the damage to their reputation because they know the abuser's been lying about them. Sometimes their money or their assets have been stolen, and sometimes just the idea with all the fears and all the abuse, it's just too overwhelming. So that's, you know, many reasons why people don't leave. And sometimes they have a special needs child or they have, you know, they have their own health condition. I mean, there are so many reasons. It's not just a simple, oh, just pack up and go. So I hope that is clear to you. But the next thing that's really, really critical in domestic abuse and than ensuing or possible domestic violence is economic abuse. I say that this is the linchpin or the the you know the the fulcrum of domestic abuse because domestic according to the research and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence uh, that economic abuse occurs in between 94 to 99 percent of domestic abuse cases. That's 94 to 99%. That's almost all the cases. And so if you are an abuser and you don't want your target, your victim, to leave, well, if you control the money or seize their money, then they're really handicapped to be able to leave. So I'm going to give you the flavor or some examples of economic abuse because we should be taught, in my humble opinion, we want to have a breakthrough in domestic abuse and domestic violence. We need to be talking about this way more. This needs to be, you know, a common conversation. So I want to give you the flavor of economic abuse. So number one, preventing you from working or having an income. Hmm. Remember earlier I said how you could force someone to homeschool? That would be so you could prevent someone from having money or income tight-fisted control over money, limiting access to money, to accounts, to financial records, to passwords, to statements, withholding money for food or family necessities like cars, household repairs or household equipment or goods, tracking your personal money, like if you got birthday money or Christmas money or Mother's Day money or whatever, tracking your personal gift money using your credit card or bank account without your permission, 
forced or coerced debt, that's also very important and a common one. Forcing you to be on a mortgage or loan document or forcing you to take out a loan. Constant questions about any money spent. Lying about their spending and providing false Excel spreadsheets to give you the illusion that the household has no money. And no matter how much income comes into the house, there's never any money. Uh, withholding money for gifts for the children or children's activity, refusing to pay for life-saving medical treatments, keeping a second set of financial books encrypted on your computer, that would be the real books, losing money in financial investments on purpose so that your partner can't have access to the money in a divorce. Let me say that again. Losing money on investments on purpose just so that your spouse or partner can't have the money in a divorce. Yes, that actually happens, people. Getting cash back while you're shopping and hiding it. Constant changing of any banking or account passwords so you can't keep up and access the accounts. And no matter how hard you work or what you do to save money, they find a way to spend any savings. So this happens with elders. This happens with all kinds of people. And, you know, economic abuse is a very real thing. And like I said, it's 94 to 99% of domestic abuse cases involve some kind of economic abuse. So it's time that we kind of bring this to the fore. Now, stalking. So stalking is somewhat common or fairly common in domestic abuse. And you're familiar with stalking, like someone's following you, you know, they're, they're tracking your whereabouts, etc. But I want to really just dive in for a moment to electronic stalking. I don't think we have like really good numbers about that or statistics, but from my experience, I think this happens significantly more often than we realize. So if you had a high level electronic stalker, what would that mean to you? Well, it would mean that you couldn't do electronic banking. It would mean that you couldn't get mail at your physical address for, for safety reasons. You so you couldn't get mail. You'd have to have a P.O. box. You wouldn't be able to call a Lyft or Uber. You wouldn't be able to have a parking sticker for your work or office or where you live. And you would have to freeze your credit so that you could prevent identity theft. And by the way, I, I highly recommend freezing your credit even if you don't have domestic abuse because it's the way to stop identity theft or fraud and it's easy to unfreeze your credit if you're going to make a major purchase and here's here's the thing a high-level stalker somebody who's really really good they can even read your email after after you get a new computer that they've never had their hands on after you get a new email so you get a new computer they've never touched you know, that they don't have access to, you get a new email provider, a new email address, a new email password, and you have the latest virus and firewall protection, and yes, they can still access your email remotely. 
I kid you not. That's, that's what a real high level stalker can do. And this is a very real problem for some people who are in a domestic abuse situation. So I next want to mention law enforcement, which is a really mixed bag. Now I will say I do love law enforcement. I love all first responders. I think that's an act of courage and bravery and I appreciate their services. And some law enforcement will be very, very helpful to you and some, some are not going to be helpful. Part of the underlying issue is that some law enforcement agencies don't have a lot of training in domestic abuse. So it is what it is. However, Many um, law enforcement agencies do have some uh, tools that they can use to assess the level of danger that you may or may not be in. And one of the tools is called the Domestic Violence Lethality Screen for First Responders. It's 11 questions. I think the first three, if you have a yes, puts you in a danger and then there's, you know, so many in the second section. But, you know, this is something, it's a tool, and there's different tools, that's one of them, that um, law enforcement can use to try to sort things out. And so if you have, if you're dealing with domestic abuse, I think, you know, your best bet is to work with law enforcement, but I think it's also wise for you to understand that, you know, sometimes they're just not that helpful. So, you know, it's a mi very, very mixed bag. I wish we had some... I had some better news for you, but, you know, and, and if you have a high-level electronic stalker, oh, yeah, good luck with that. Law enforcement's not going to be very helpful at all because you, you, they have to have someone, like, from the highest level of the FBI that's better than the stalker, electronic stalker hacker you have. So that's just a little snippet on law enforcement. And I think if you watch any of the crime shows where someone was murdered and it turns out there was some domestic abuse, you know, oftentimes it's the family or the friends or the kids or whatever who, like, just hound law enforcement until, you know, the case is, is solved. So, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. So anyway, that's that on law enforcement. Now, protection from abuse orders, also known as PFAs, they are phenomenal if you can get one. Now, I say if you can get one because guess what? Some judges in America do not believe in the protection from abuse law. Now, I say that as a fact, as a fact, and who knows this? Who knows that fact? Is the pro bono attorneys that represent people who are trying to get a PFA because they know which judges have their middle finger, excuse my language, basically up to the law. And there are some judges in the United States who have had a 10-year term and then gotten a second 10-year term even though they were waving their middle finger at the protection from abuse law. And that is just so abhorrent and so criminal. But we're not talking about this, and this is the problem. Judges get reelected who have horrific, horrific, you know, bench records on domestic abuse because nobody's talking about it. And if we talked about it, well, there are certain judges who would never get a second term and probably wouldn't even finish out a first term. So this is one of the reasons why, as society, we need to start having these kinds of conversations, or at least get educated. So PR, PFAs are great if you can get one, but it's going to depend on the judge. 
Sorry to tell you, but that's that. Okay, resources for domestic abuse or violence. Well, let me just tell you that there are resources if you're dealing with domestic abuse or domestic violence. There are resources. Yes, there are. But here's the rub. These agencies, local, state, and federal or national, are dramatically underfunded. Like, they're understaffed and underfunded. Like, for the need, it's... it's it's minuscule what they have to work with. Now, they do a great job, like an amazing job, with the resources and funding that they have. They, they really do. So if you're looking for a charity to support or a worthy cause, this is one of them. This would be, you know, hey, you're looking for a place to, to put some money? These organizations are very worthwhile, but it's really like a Band-Aid. So when someone needs to leave an, ab an abusive relationship, whether it's a marriage or, you know, cohabitation or just, you know, whatever relationship, the resources that the local or state or the, the national organizations have is really like a Band-Aid when you need a tourniquet and major surgery. It's so small what they can do compared to what someone needs who's leaving an abusive relationship or marriage. And it will remain that until we really start to put our hands around, hey, this is a this is a systemic problem. This is enormous and we need to get behind it and really fund this and really provide the resources. So that's that. Now I do want to make a mention of the book called People of the Lie by M. Scott Peck. Now, M. Scott Peck wrote The Road Less Traveled, The Road Less Traveled and Beyond, and several books, but one of them um, was, is called People of the Lie. M. Scott Peck was a medical doctor and in psychiatry, and I think that one of the things that is symptomatic, for sure, in domestic abuse is lying. So it's really helpful to get a backbone and get some foundation on people who lie, which is why I love that book, because, you know, when people lie, there's confusion. So if there's things that are confusing in your relationship or your marriage or what have you, ding, 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 it might be that someone's not telling the truth. And I'm a big fan of psychology and how psychology can help you having a little bit of knowledge. I mean, I'm a lay person, but I find psychology to be extremely valuable and helpful. So I just have to mention that book because I found it incredibly valuable and incredibly helpful in dealing with someone who lies. Now, what can you do if you care about somebody who's in an abusive relationship? So, and by the way, I could do so many podcasts on this, but I, you know, I just can't right now. Um, say more than what I'm saying today. But if you care about somebody and you think or you know or you suspect that they're in an abusive relationship, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, if it's appropriate. Now, I don't know if it's appropriate and you'll have to use right judgment and, and contemplation to determine if it's appropriate. But if it's appropriate at some point, then express your concerns to them. But that may or may not be appropriate. Number two, stay in touch with them. Isolation is one of the huge, big, 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 big tactics of an abuser. 
They want to isolate you from your friends. They want to isolate you from their, your family. They want to isolate you from going out with coworkers. They want to isolate you because the more they isolate you, the better the damage they can, you know, they can wreak havoc on. So if you suspect someone you love or care about is in an abusive relationship, stay in touch with them and don't take it personally if they don't respond to you. Just keep at it. Stay in touch and, you know, ask how you can support them and keep, you know, setting up opportunities for them to meet you outside of the house or wherever and just don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. And sometimes you might not have the relationship with the person that, you know, makes you the person to do all these things. So you can reach out to someone else, which I actually did recently. And uh, I told this woman, I said, you know, so-and-so I think is in an abusive relationship and you're really important in life. And I'd really like you to stay in touch with them if you can and blah, blah, blah. And it was like an amazing conversation because that particular person did not, they, they suspected or, or knew about the abuse, but they didn't realize the difference they made. So, you know, it's not like you can't do anything. Do what you can. Don't give up look at other options and understand that if they don't respond to you, it's probably, I'm 90 plus 95% sure it's not personal. It's relative to their situation. So that's some suggestions there. Now, if you happen to be in an abusive relationship, well, first of all, God love you. Number two, you have to recognize it and claim it, which can be difficult, I understand, and not blame yourself. I mean, you can blame yourself, but that's not really helpful. Number two, bump up taking care of yourself, your self-care and self-compassion, because that's going to help kind of counterbalance and start to offset the abuse that you're receiving. Number three, growth and development. This is huge. This is going to help you heal. It will help you feel better. It will help you understand. It will help you make a new life. It will help you in every single way, including helping you deal with what I have termed the difficult emotions, the sadness, the resentment, the anger, the regret, the betrayal, all of that. So growth and development, which by the way, all of my podcasts are about growth and development, my YouTube videos, everything that I do is about how to have an amazing life, even when it's very difficult. So get on the road to growth and development. Next, forgive yourself. You know, beating yourself up for picking the wrong woman or picking the wrong man or, you know, marrying them or, you know, what have you isn't going to help you. So if you can bring forgiveness to the table and forgive yourself, that's helpful. I also certainly recommend forgiving them because these people are sick. This is not, this is not healthy behavior. Anybody who abuses somebody else with malice and intention on a long-term basis, they're not well. They are not well people. All right. So the next suggestion I have is to start doing things that make you happy. This is very hard for, for most people. Like forget you're in an abusive relationship, but 
doing things that make you happy is hard for most people. It's why we have so much unhappiness. Most people don't even know what makes them happy, but you know, you want to get on the journey to start sprinkling your life with little things that make you happy and bring you joy because it's going to help you feel better and put you on the road to healing and happiness. My next suggestion is to start talking to trusted friends or family or confidence or whoever that might be about what's going on. And, and you know, do that if you can. I know when I, I know that one of the big issues people have is will they believe me? Well, sometimes people won't believe you. So what? You know what's true. Like, uh, next, I suggest create a team of people that's going to surround you and help you and it might not be people who you expect but if you can create a team I highly highly recommend it. Next if you need therapy just get therapy and don't have any shame or embarrassment about it. I just did a podcast uh, recently about what is therapy anyway and that might be helpful because you can find out good things in therapy. Therapy isn't like all this bad stuff. Therapy is designed to help you figure out what's missing, help you figure out you know how you're organized. So get therapy if you need to. Definitely you want to have a safety plan in place. You want to have people know how are, how are people going to know that you're safe? How are you going to know that you're safe? What are you going to do to ensure that you continue to remain safe? And so you want to have a safety plan. Now, the next thing is you want to, if you can't just get up and leave, and many people or most people can't because of different circumstances, but if you can't leave immediately uh, and it's safe for you to stay or as safe as it can be, then you want to make an escape plan for your future. You want to start planning on this bright, beautiful future that you're going to have away from the abuse and the abuser. And to do so, you, you know, are going to want to start to try to sock away some money. Now, I've already talked about the commonality that economic abuse, I do believe economic abuse, by the way, is the linchpin or the fulcrum of, of domestic abuse. So, of course, your money is being tracked. Money is being tracked, highly tracked. So you'll probably have to have a confidant or a friend or a relative who you can, you know, siphon some money off to and have them, you know, save it for you because if you're being economically abused, which is, you know, 94 to 99% of the cases, you know, you won't have access to, to that money. So you want to have somebody who will kind of hide it for you. And um, even though I'm a big fan of integrity when it comes to economic abuse and, and what I know, what I've learned, that is, there's, that's fine. That's fine to do that. Um, especially if all of your assets have been stolen. Uh, if you can get a protection from abuse order, do that. And um, you might not be able to get it even if you are wildly deserving of it. And the next thing is that you have to remember that this too is going to pass. That this is not going to be your life forever. And you'll get through it. So that's, I could say a whole lot more if you, about what I would recommend if, if you're in an abusive relationship. That's the extent of what I can say, given what, where I'm at right now. All right, so here's some takeaways. It's time to recognize that domestic abuse is far more common than you realize, like way more common. And it's time for us to start changing the conversations we have on this topic if we're ever going to make a difference.
And it's also time to get on the road for personal growth and development because that's going to help you. It's going to help anyone in your life and it's going to help society overall. Now, for my call to action, it's time to start talking about this topic. How are we ever going to change things if we don't talk about it? And it's time to start a revolution of growth and development because that's going to be wildly, wildly preventive and helpful to stopping and putting an end to domestic abuse and help everyone in the long haul. And lastly, it's time to share this podcast so you can help other people have some new thoughts and some new information about domestic abuse. Okay, that's it. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast. Episode number 60, an overview on domestic abuse or violence. I hope that you found this informative or helpful in some way. It is a difficult topic that happens more often than you know. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you get the new ones automatically. And visit my website to enter my current giveaway. Um, I hope you're doing well. Take care. That's it for now. Love you.